the top was sumptuous, and Sanchez's skills were sublime. Oh, Rodman! Rodman! The number two pick scores for the Spirit! And the Andre Carlisle here, and I am here with a special guest, a very special guest. We have Paige Mateer with us. Paige, how are you doing? I said us, it's just me. Paige, how are you? <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thank you so much for being willing to chat. This is going to be fun. It's just me today, as I mentioned. So we're going to have like a little chat. We're going to go down like memory lane. We're going to get you all introduced to Paige because, quite honestly, I think. This is personally, even outside of the spirit, I think Paige is one of the most like fun and underrated stories of this NWSL season. And so I have like a lot of questions and I'm sorry up front. <laughs> <laughs> All good. All good. <laughs> okay. So I think I, and I seriously want to start from like the very beginning. So I want to take a journey through like your soccer career. So like, when did you get, like, when did you begin playing and when did you realize that you were like, good enough to like do this at higher levels? Yeah, honestly, I started playing when I was four, which is kind of a funny story because no one in my immediate family plays soccer or anything. But once I was visiting my cousin, who's a little older than me, and she had a soccer game and I was like, oh, I want to do this. Like mom, dad, sign me up for soccer. And they went to the local like YMCA or whatever and tried to sign me up. And they were like, she's too young. And I threw a fit in the middle of the local YMCA. So... That's kind of a funny story, but yeah, I just started off, you know, like any other kid playing soccer and went up through the ranks pretty much. It wasn't until my freshman year of high school that I started playing for my club's A team even. That's when like ECNL and all that started. So it's been a journey for sure. Yeah. And I also wonder, first of all, you throwing a fit in the YMCA is hilarious. So um, gotta sometimes you got to fight for what you want. So were you able to play that year? Or did they still force you to wait? I think they forced me to wait until I was four, oh. but <laughs> oh, rude, just rude. Um, but I'm glad you stuck with it and were persistent. One thing that's interesting to me is that your game doesn't really show it, but you are quite tall. So I'm wondering, like when you were growing up, like when did you have like your growth spurt where you actually gained most of your height and were they trying to push you in different positions or were you always a midfielder? Yeah, I honestly didn't really grow like I was pretty average height until maybe like my sophomore year of high school when I like kept growing and no one else did. But <laughs> yeah, I would say I was always a midfielder. I mean, I played a little bit of forward in my last years of club, um, played outside back for some random things. But I would say truly like I was always a midfielder, mostly a 10 growing up. But That would explain the ball skills, I think, uh, and, and the creativity that we've seen already. Um, I, I guess transitioning a bit into just being a midfielder, what is it about that particular position that you just into that like suits you and your personality and the way you want to play on the pitch? Yeah, I think it started when I was young that they would just kind of like give me more free reign. I'd be like, go ahead, like be in the center of the field and do as you please. I mean, obviously, as you grow up and go through the levels, you get a little less of that. But I think that's where it all started. And I think now I like just how involved the position is. I like being all over the place. I like being able to run. So I think it suits me. And you also have a running background, correct? Yeah, I ran track in high school for, I think, three years. But 
What specific events? Was it like long day? Because honestly, it seems like you never get tired. So I'm wondering if you just run like the really long events or were you like a sprinter? Yeah, that's funny. I appreciate that. But I ran the 400 and the 800 mostly. So mid distance, but. Okay. All right. So we're not talking like cross country. It was actually like. (laughs) None of that. (laughs) Gotcha. Um, Okay. And then college. We're we're slowly progressing. So we've got you throwing fits at the YMCA, which is great. Uh, And then uh, growing up, loving soccer, loving playing midfield, and then good enough to get to college. So how did your college experience begin? Was there recruitment? Were there multiple schools that you were choosing between? How How did it all go down? Yeah, when I was being recruited, it was before the age change. So I was actually an older player since my birthday, September. I was an older player on a younger team. So I was a year older in school than most of the people I was playing with, which kind of, you know, changes recruiting and whatnot Mm -hmm. since you're getting looks a little later. So I wouldn't say I was any like heavily sought after recruit. I definitely had some offer from some schools. I visited Cal. That was one of the only schools I actually visited and I just knew I wanted to be there. So it was pretty easy for me to decide. What was it about Cal? Was it, was it like the, uh, you talking to the coach or was it like the campus? What was it that, that was a draw uh, to Cal? Honestly, all of the above. I knew it was a really great school. I'm from SoCal, so it was nice to be in California, but I didn't want to be too close to home. I really loved the coaching staff, really loved the environment there and it seemed to work out. I love that you said you didn't want to be too close to home because that was kind of one of my things. I was like, my my only one of my big qualifications for where I was going to co- go to college was what is far enough away to where my mom's actually going to have to call before she visits. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> <laughs> that was it. And I was like, uh, yeah, we're doing that. I need I need the heads up. You can't just be popping up. Uh, we, we need that to happen. Um so throughout your college experience, you, I'm assuming, played midfielder all throughout college, or did they move you around a bit? Yeah, I was mostly a midfielder, for sure. Okay. So that college experience in Cal, um, some of the, like, I guess I want to talk about some of the toughest games that you had and some of your best games um, uh, that you've had as well. If you can pinpoint a couple. I know that was it was a bit ago, uh, given all the information you've taken on uh, with the Spirit this season, but... Um, just your your experience at Cal. What was what was what were some highlights? What were some some lowlights? I suppose. Yeah, I think coming into Cal, we had lost like eight starters the year prior, which was really great considering it got a lot of us freshmen able mm. to you know integrate into the team and play an important role. But also, we were not that great at all. I think we won one game during league or during um, Pac-12 play my first year. So that year was a little bit of chaos. I think I was just grateful to be there, you know, just being a freshman. So probably one of the lowlights was that year. But um, my sophomore year and my fifth year, those were really, like, stood out to me. Uh, We had great teams those years. I think my sophomore year especially, we had a really great group. It was – I learned a lot that year. We had some great games. I remember we beat UCLA. I think it was in overtime or in the end of the game. back at their home field which was an amazing feeling yeah I'm wondering about that that year that was like your friend the freshman year was there could you mention learning later on and of course like when you're getting results it kind of makes it easier when the when things are that difficult do you still learn things or it's just more like I learned that I never want to go through that again <laughs> a little bit of both for sure <laughs> but when you're surrounded by great players it's just so easy to pick up on things and Obviously, college environment is so different than the club environment. 
every game you're learning something new. So even if the results aren't showing, you get more comfortable. You learn from those around you, coaching staff. You get to mesh with them and whatnot. So you learn a lot in losing as well. <laughs> <laughs> who were some of the teammates on your college teams that you learned from the most, like who were really good to play with, but also to just like experience how they play, how they see the game? Yeah, being a younger player, one that stood out is Daisy Cleverly. She now plays for New Zealand. She plays overseas, but we played a double six together in college a lot of the time. And I think being able to learn from an older player like that who had international experience was extremely valuable. And then obviously um, I was college teammates with Sydney Collins, who now plays for the North Carolina Courage. And I think I learned a lot about her competitive drive and how she approaches the game. And I think a lot of that wore off on me. We like to go out at, at practice for sure. So that was always great to have her around. Nice. Some, some competition in practice. Always, always good. Uh, we, we heard, side note, we heard a little bit, and you may have missed this this era of things, but uh, when Maddie Elwell, we had her on, and she said when she came into practice with the spirit, she was just going out, like slide tackling, and they were like, hey, chill. Did you have any of those moments? And, and we're, we still got some things to talk about before we get to fully spirit, but I just wanted to know, did you have any of those moments starting out where they were like, hey, we don't, we don't do this right now? <laughs> Honestly, I haven't, which is... Great, because I think you come in a little scared of that, you know, not to, you know, mess with that. But I have heard those Maddie stories and I love her for that. I think it's hilarious and it makes a lot of sense. <laughs> it was one of the best things that we heard from her in that. She, she was great. Um, okay, so still in college, but but transitioning to go to pro. Um, we know the story is, of course, undrafted. But wanted to kind of know how you were before that. Were you preparing for the draft? Were you expecting to be drafted? Like, what was kind of going on in that kind of transition where you realized, like, okay, I want to do this professionally. I'm going to try and set myself up in the best way possible to do that. Yeah, I think the decision to truly become pro and really follow through with that came when I chose to take my fifth year. Since we got a COVID year, I decided to come back and I figured that would be. The reason why was to potentially pursue a pro career, but I think at the end of my fifth year, I definitely wasn't expecting to be drafted. I knew it was a possibility. I mean, I think my college coaches agreed with me. I'm probably not the type of player that's going to show up like too great in a highlight reel. I didn't really have that many like college accolades that would stand out to a recruiter, but I knew there was always a possibility. I knew what I could bring to the game and at what level. So it was just kind of you know, waiting to see what happened. Oh, so it's it doesn't sound like there was like frustration throughout the draft of not being selected then? No, I knew I had talked to the spirit beforehand and I had I knew that there was slight interest from other teams, but I knew there was nothing solid with that. So I wouldn't say frustration was the word for it. That's interesting because I on this side of things, we get a little frustrated at some of the teams because I know like the end of a cell has grown a lot and has a lot to continue to grow. But a lot of that is like infrastructure. So some of that is like scouting, you know, what are you looking for? How are you identifying talent? And it just seemed to me with, especially in a situation like you, in your case, where you clearly have the talent <laughs> to be able to do this. And so it was great that you were able to get on a team, but also it feels like from, from the outside, and I don't know if this is how you feel as well, that you were talented enough to be among the players that were drafted. Yeah, I think there's so much talent in the college game, if I'm being honest. And I think that getting an opportunity to play in this league 
is partially chance sometimes, you know, if you're on the fringes, if you're not really like the college player that's going to stand out, then you're not really sure if that opportunity is going to come. And I think, especially with the spirit, I think they've done a great job building that infrastructure you were talking about. I know Parsons and his team, they put a lot into recruiting. They're always watching college games, searching for what the team needs, what qualities they like in players. And I think that's one of the reasons I ended up here with the spirit is because of how much effort they put into that side of the recruiting. Yeah, so I wanted to talk about that. I don't know if you if you will name the other teams that were interested, but yeah, I know you said you had more, I guess the more in-depth conversations came with the Spirit, but was there anyone else and, and are you willing to, to name them? Well, before the draft, I had no other conversations, but after the draft, I got one phone call and then a few texts just, you know, come into preseason and whatnot, but the Spirit definitely had the most interest, so it was an easy choice for me. <laughs> Yeah, so the Spirit talked to you before the draft and then also after? Yes. Okay, so it was pretty. So when you got those other calls, you got those other things, you already had the connection with the Spirit already to be like, okay, they've showed interest before. Was that was that the deciding factor or were there deeper conversations as far as like them talking to you about what they see in your game and how they could help you develop? Yeah, the Spirit also stood out because of that. After the draft, they had more conversations with me about uh, how they saw me fit in with their plans and what they expected from me in the future. And I think that's what really sold me on it. Parsons called me personally, which was a nice touch and that showed a lot of interest in how, um, I guess, thoughtful they are when they're caring about their players. So you get the the invite, you come in, you join the Spirit, and... You know, we we have heard from from Mark Parsons himself that conversations in preseason with you where they saw you and, and with things they wanted you to develop, they changed very rapidly because at first it would seem like, you know, get her in, you know, get her familiar with the way that we do things. We'll get her some minutes. And then as the beginning of the regular season got closer, it was like, OK, we're having different conversations now where we're talking to you like as a starter. So, like, how did that happen? And I guess in terms of what you continue to do and and you must have continued to like develop kind of like right in front of their eyes in terms of things that they wanted to see from you. So like, how did it feel to just kind of like have that kind of fast track from undrafted to starter? Yeah, it was a whirlwind for sure. Those first few months of preseason, as you said in the beginning, it's just getting your footing and seeing how to keep up with speed. Honestly, like you can ask any rookie and it's like, Oh boy, like, you got to get used to it for sure. But I also think for the majority of preseason, I was playing a six in our formation and uh, one game, like the national team players were away. So I got to fill in for Andy in some preseason matches or trainings and whatnot. And then later in preseason, they were like, why don't we try you at an eight? Like, let's try this. And I think that's when the, I guess the pipeline to starter kind of really took off because of that position and, what I could learn there and what I could bring to the team. I always say I really like having a job and being able to do it. So I think the more they told me what they were expecting from me, the more I was able to do that. And I think that's kind of my trajectory now. I really do enjoy that part of the game where if you give me a job, I will try my best to do it. Yeah. So that sounds like a um, a, a combination of a couple things where, of course, your drive to do these things, but also they say like, here's what we want. <laughs> like here's specific, like defined roles of what we want from this. And it just, you were just like, okay, well, it, they'll almost like, did it become like a checkbox? Like, okay, can do this, can do this, can do this. And just 
all of a sudden you you're, you're doing those things and then you start. Yeah, probably not as black and white as that, but <laughs> <laughs> I like to look at it that way, kind of just tell me what to do and then I will try my best. And, you know, it seems to work out and learning new things every game, learning from those around me and whatnot. Yeah. So speaking of that, that learning kind of game to game, I know you've mentioned, of course, the speed of play. And yeah, we've talked to a few rookies and the NWSL is a different level. Um, it is. It's not even like a different level in terms of like just being fully professional. But I even think when players come over from Europe, uh, even if they've been playing professionally for a while, the NWSL is the most athletic league in the world. And there's like an additional layer <laughs> to get used to that. But what were some other things and other adjustments that you had to like refine your game around uh, to be able to succeed at this level? Yeah, I think, as you said, the league is so athletic and I think I enjoy that side of the game. So that was kind of more of a positive for me, but also just getting comfortable. I mean, the speed of play is one thing, but being able to adjust to it while keeping your same qualities is really difficult to do because it's easy to become a person you're not or a player you're not when the speed changes so much or I guess the league in general changes so much. So I think all the rookies kind of have to figure out how to keep the parts of the game that they're special for and how to get those to work in the professional environment. And so I'm wondering about that aspect of it because the Speed of play is one thing, like keeping up with it, but then your job in midfield is to anticipate a lot. So how does that kind of, because that must be taxing not only in the body, but the brain as well. Yeah, you're definitely switched on the entire game, even throw-ins. I feel like in college throw-ins, it's like, okay, chill. Like they'll just, you know, find a little person to throw the ball into. No, like you are getting set. You cannot switch off. Like there is no downtime where you're taking a second and composing yourself. You're pretty much going at... 100 miles per hour the entire game mentally and physically. So that is a very big change. That's a good point. <laughs> so the Spirit are, have been obviously in a transition. Uh, you come to them and, you know, they've already got Michelle Kang in, in, uh, as an owner and things have been growing. You know, Mark Parsons is here. The, we, we've seen so many of the player, player support staff. Uh, we've seen a lot of trainers, a lot of coaches, which has been great to see. Um, you just talk about like coming into that kind of environment and having all kind of the tools, because I feel like that must also be one of the reasons why you were able to kind of grow quickly from be able to transition from the college game to stepping straight into a starting role. Yeah, the amount of staff here, not only do we have plenty of it, but they also are top of the game. So it is so easy to get what you need here. Everyone's there truly to make you better. I, we do a lot of physical preparation that I think adds to my game. That makes, you know, this long season, no one's used to playing for this long coming from a college game. But the way they handle our loads, the way they handle our fitness, it just makes that so much easier. The attention to detail that Dawn Scott has is unreal. We like to joke that she knows more about us than we know about ourselves, which honestly I think is true. So they make it easy when they give you every resource you could ever need. And and on the player side, there's also been a ton of really, you know, pivotal figures at the, at the spirit, a lot of leaders. Who are some of those that you've uh, veteran players that you've kind of gravitated towards that kind of took you under their wing and, and, and have kind of helped you out as you've kind of made this transition? Yeah. I think obviously playing next to Andy has been, so helpful for my own personal growth, but also it's just great to see how she approaches the game, how she approaches training, 
you know, her mindset day to day. I think just being around her, you learn so much. And then also Sam is just such a great leader from the back. She's always so calm. And I just feel that when she's on the ball, she has like all the confidence in me to do what I need to do with the ball as well, which it just rubs off on the whole team that everyone is there to support each other and everyone trusts each other. When you, when you came in as a rookie, cause I, I, you know, we've, we've talked to Andy Sullivan a bit and she's fun, but also I can imagine when she's like in competition, she's very intense as well. And there are quite a few players who, when that, you know, when that switches on, they're very intense. So when you came in as a rookie, were you like intimidated by anybody or everybody? <laughs> uh, honestly, everyone. <laughs> That's a good point. Uh, yeah, there is a, that layer to the professional level where people switch it on for sure. I think all the rookies like to joke about this one time we were playing, I don't even know who was small-sided or 11s or whatnot, and Andy just goes out of, we're ready to press, and Andy goes, punish them, and we're like, oh yeah, <laughs> this is scary, but in the best way possible. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> punish them, that's amazing. Um <laughs> What, one other thing I wanted to I wanted to mention before we we move on to just a couple more details about the spirit specifically this season and, and how the season is gone and looking ahead to the rest of the season. Um, this has been the first full season that the spirit have had where they've played all at Audi, and I think that that has been for for those of us who've been following the spirit for a while, massive change. Great that it happened, very much overdue, but very much thank you to the ownership. And getting that done. But for your experience coming in, because I know college atmospheres can be rowdy and fun as well. And depending on what team you go to, you can still get some of that. But it may not be exactly the same if you're like at a at a big college or in a big conference like you were in with the Pac-12. So like, what is your experience been like playing at Audi uh, every home game? Yeah, I don't think there's much in the college game that compares to Audi. I think just the management has done such a great job at making fans excited to be there, making them enjoy the game. I think we've had great attendance recently and it's truly been my favorite place to play. It's, it's amazing just being able to walk out there and seeing all the fan support. And it's not only just like the little kids or the families, like I've had friends come that are like, I need to bring all my friends to this. Like, why aren't more people going to this? Like, this is a great event. So I think it's really great just from the business side of the spirit. They've done a phenomenal job at generating that interest. And I hope it takes off because I think that playing at Audi has been such a big step for the team. I've heard, you know, not the greatest stories about playing at Segra. So I'm I'm a little spoiled that I've only had to play at Audi and I'm grateful for that. <laughs> Yes, but but in the in the best way. Segra yes. was just never. I had to go. I went there a few times, and of course, I didn't have to play on that surface as well. But like, oof, yeah, plenty of stories, plenty of unfortunate things. Sorry, Segra, like <laughs> <laughs> to stay at Audi forever. Um, okay, so this particular season, you know, going throughout it, um, formations have changed a bit. You know, we're starting out the season. I believe it was four four two diamond. You started out. I believe he started with a, he's also experienced, Parsons have also experimented with a flat 4-4-2. We've seen a 4-2-3-1, I believe, and a 4-3-3. From your perspective, playing, I know sometimes it's just like where you're, you're starting position in terms of midfield, but like how do things change that people aren't aware of when you do switch formations like that? Yeah, I think for me, because I've played the eight role, but also the six role, those two in my mind are very different positions just from 
where you are on the field, you know, what the field looks like when you get the ball, like what your role is on defense and offense. And I think they was what we did most of preseason and something I got really comfortable with. And I think transitioning to a double six or all those other formations that were not specifically a diamond midfield felt very different to me. I think it takes some getting used to just being even slightly deeper on the field changes the game so much. So there's been a lot of changes with that. I think the team's done a great job in adjusting. I think we're still, you know, generating great chances, playing good defense, but there's definitely been changes and it's something to get used to. One thing that I always wish we could do in the game of, of soccer is put like a camera on like a player's head just to see like the perspective and everything that happens. Because honestly, like 22 players running around on a pitch, well, two players are fairly stationary, even though goalkeepers get involved in build up, build up and things these days anyway. But like the midfield seems to me to me to be like the most chaotic place to be because you have so many things and it can change in an instant. If you are in possession and suddenly you're out of possession, now everything changes. So how do you like, how do you just like absorb all of those things and dissect them in an instant in midfield? Um, and then enough to be able to react, like how, how is that position just playing it and keeping up with things I'd say on a mental level that people might not understand? Yeah, you used the word chaotic, and I would have to agree. Sometimes it does feel a little chaotic. I mean, sometimes, as you said, 22 players on the field and trying to keep track of where they all are. Players at this level are so great at evading your eyes, if that makes sense. So you never really know where everyone is, but you try your best to do so. And I think some of the best midfielders are the ones that are good at slowing down the game and what they see and you know those instants what might be an instant for us like seems like forever for them and I think that's something I'm still trying to learn to do at this level but it's chaotic for sure (laughs) yeah and that's why I kind of want that care just so people can see all the things that you like because you've got even of course players within your eyesight your line of sight but also players that you can't even see and you have to kind of feel where they are and of course where your teammates are so there's just so much to be aware of (laughs) you mentioned it slowing down uh the game slowing down a bit i know it hasn't been your pro career hasn't been long just yet but have things already slowed down a bit for you now that you've gotten so many minutes and gotten familiar uh with the league a bit Yeah, they definitely slow down. I think game to game, it changes a bit. But even just at training sessions, I know in the beginning, we were all like, this is crazy. And now it's you get comfortable, you can, you know, use more tactics and your brain kind of slows down and knows what to do. But there's a big learning curve there for sure. Yeah. So I'm wondering, you mentioned that some of the best players slow things down, uh, especially in midfield. Um, They're very aware of things. They're sense pressure very well you know they know where their teammates are and the time they have the passing range and variation to get the ball to move the ball around are there any particular players that you either idolize or want to emulate or that you pick up on things who, who have you kind of looked up to in your in your soccer career yeah in terms of slowing the game down and everything you just said like the first person I think of is Andy honestly I don't think you appreciate it that much until you're playing beside her or see what she brings to a team And the way she slows the game down, the way that she is able to choose her passes and whatnot is something that I'm trying to build in my 
career. So she's definitely something I'd like to emulate. And then obviously you mentioned like knowing where pressure is and whatnot. And I think Sanchez does a great job of that and always turning away from pressure, always being creative. That's also a great skill to have in the midfield and something that I definitely try to take notes on. Now you mentioned that you used to be, that you played a 10 from time to time. We have seen you a pretty high nutmeg count this season. I don't know what it is officially. Do you know? No. Okay. All right. I was wondering if you were keeping track. <laughs> but just that that on-ball skill, because I feel like, especially the profile of player that it seems like, you know, you, you run a lot, you're very aggressive in tackles, you get into a lot of duels. A lot of times those players aren't no, normally don't have that other layer to their game where they're like, can be tricky with the ball. So where did that portion of your game come from? Yeah, as I said earlier, I was a 10 growing up and I also wasn't, you know, that tall or that crazy like athletic. Nothing was very special about my physique, I guess, growing up. So it kind of forced me to have more of a creative side to my game. And I still love that side. I think it, you know, it has a time and a place, but I kind of missed that side of the game. And it was always really fun being able to have that creativity. So in game, when you pull off a nutmeg and Audi goes crazy, do you have like, what, what, what goes through your mind at the time? Oh, yeah. Those are, you don't even have time to absorb the crowd at those moments. <laughs> You're like, oh, just did that. that okay, oh. moving on. <laughs> but it's fun, it, for sure. It's always fun to add a little flair every once in a while. And most of the time I surprise myself. Don't know what's about to happen when it happens. <laughs> <laughs> so it's more instinctual. You just brought instinctual sauce and all of a sudden you, you just like nutmegging somebody and running the other way. And it's just like, well guess I just did that. Yeah. <laughs> sounds bad when you put it that way, but. <laughs> no, it sounds great. I mean, the instinctual part of it is, listen, there are worse instincts to have. Some people have instincts to just like punt the ball and clear it. If your instinct is nutmeg people, I'm here for that. <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> All right. I really appreciate uh, you allowing me to kind of go through piece by piece of your career uh, so far. Um, oh, well, I also have to ask about these upcoming games. Um, because we, we, I was going to transition to rapid fire, but we're going to get one question before we do rapid fire. And that is, of course, we know the Chicago game didn't go the way anybody wanted it to go. And unfortunately, looking at the table right at that number six spot. And so four games to go. How's the approach now to, to training? Like what's been kind of going on kind of, I guess, behind the scenes is, is the team and the coaching staff tries to prepare for one game at a time, but also each game becomes more and more important now. Yeah, there's definitely a difficult balance between having so few games left and having to generate results because you don't want to put so much pressure on each game that it feels like the world is ending when you step on the field, but you also can't take it lightly. So I think right now it's finding that balance of these games mean a lot, but not to have that affect the way we play in a negative way. Yeah, I always wonder because a lot of, you know, a lot of times we get athlete speak, which is just like, you know, one game at a time. And I get that from like a, it kind of has to be that because you can only play one game at a time. But is it, is that the actual mindset? And if so, how do you force yourself to do that? Because just naturally as a human, you kind of have to, you you want to project, you want to kind of figure, like humans want to know things and you can't really know until all the games are played. So how, how do you focus on that one game at a time piece? Yeah, that's an interesting point because it does sound really cliche, but I do think that is our true outlook on things is that it is one game at a time, you know? And I think 
getting so far into our soccer careers, we're used to that type of mentality just because it, as you said, like that's truly, you can only worry about the next game, but it is interesting when you take a step back. And I think it can get overwhelming when you take a step back and you look at all the games we've already played and all the games left and you're like, Oh no, like we're coming to the end. But I think we do a great job at staying focused on, you know, the hand, the, the task at hand. Yeah, we we on the outside we refer to it as athlete brain because it's just like I don't I don't know how you stay in that level of intensity as frequently as you need to. So like yeah, just shout out to all of that. Okay, rapid fire time, and then we'll be done. Uh, and again, thank you so much for your time and for your openness. It's been a great conversation getting to know you, your path, your journey. Um, and very excited, honestly, seriously, one of the best stories in the NWSL, and really looking forward to the rest of your career. Um, okay. I have to go with the rapid fire because my first one for me in attack, I'm a person that really loves the attacking phase of play. Sorry. I know midfield's very important. I'm not trying to shade it or anything. It just happens to it. You were a number 10. So you understand. <laughs> um, do you have a fa- any, any level? This can be when you were four and finally allowed to play, or it <laughs> can be any of your headers that you've uh, scored for the spirit. Uh, what has been your favorite goal that you have scored so far? And can you describe it to us? Yeah, that's a tough one. I would honestly have to say my first pro goal. I think all three of my pro goals have been so similar that they kind of blend together in my mind. <laughs> but my first one, I had my friends in the stands and, you know, it was a great game for us as a team. And I think that just really stood out. It was a happy day. <laughs> okay. So you have to explain it for the people. I'm sure people listening know if they're spirit supporters, they know what this goal was, but from your perspective, um, how was it when the ball was coming towards you? Did you think like, Oh, I've got this. Or was there more of a, more of a surprise as it got closer and closer. You were like, oh, this could actually be my first goal. Yeah, I think on that one, they like to joke that I didn't really have to move, if I'm being honest. The ball really came straight (laughs) towards me. But I don't think I had any experience of that happening in trainings or whatnot. I think it was kind of a surprise. And then for it to happen more times throughout the season was like, okay, like guess we're on to something here. But I mean, my job was pretty easy. I just kind of had to stand there and jump. So (laughs) it made it a lot lot easier. Stand there, be tall, and jump. There yeah. you go. <laughs> um, okay, so number 10, your favorite assist. Yeah, that's a tough one, honestly, because those are a lot rarer for me. But we'll go with the pro theme and say my assist to Sanchez's header was my favorite just because I don't know how she scored that. I think that's a really header or difficult header to make, and I don't think people realize how difficult that ankle was. So thank you, Sanchez, for making me look good. <laughs> I think that's like the perfect summary of Sanchez. If something seems like overtly extremely difficult and complicated, that's basically she's just going to do it because she just has that, like, she's just some of the things that we've seen her do is just like, how did you even, why did you think of that? Okay, but you did it. And it works out always. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Um, Okay. So back, back to your, your, your instinctual sauce um we know you like to you know nutmeg people you know you have that that on ball skill that that can be a little sneaky sometimes for some people to to experience what is one of the famous your favorite moves that you pulled off in a game whether it's a nutmeg or any other type of dribbling move that you use to evade a defender 1v1 this goes back to when i was pretty young but we i don't even know what the name of this 
move per se is, but we used to call it a fat cow, which definitely, I don't think anyone will know what I'm talking about when I say that, but it's like a body meg when you play it on one side of the defender and run around the other side. That is one of my all-time favorites. I love watching people do it. I love when people think to use that move just because rarely are you just running straight and think to do that. And I think that when you use it properly, it is unstoppable. And I love seeing it happen. <laughs> I have heard that called many things, but I don't think I've ever heard fat cat. <laughs> Crazy. I don't know. That's like from when I was six. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Hilarious, but also a very good move. Uh, and it's very funny whenever that happens because the other, the defender just looks very silly. And I'm sorry, I'm here for defenders looking silly. It makes me happy. Um, okay. So you mentioned a couple teammates that you had in college. Um, of course, this can also go through pre-college, but also pro. Who's been, and I, and I won't pin you down on your favorite, but give me like two or three favorite teammates throughout your years. Um, let's do at least one in college and one in pro. Ooh. Well, from college, I already mentioned it. Sydney, obviously, mm-hmm. playing with her has been phenomenal, and I think we went through the whole five years together at Cal and I have so much appreciation for her as a person and as a teammate and ooh, as a pro, that's a tough one just because so many players, but I think playing with Sam is just so easy. She makes everyone look good. Like the passes she finds is insane. So I would say playing with her is always joy. Yeah. That, that left foot and the passing range there is, is quite the weapon to have back there. Um, okay. When you're getting ready for a game, what is your pregame ritual? Yeah, that's an interesting one. I would think that most people would say songs or, you know, something special they do before leaving the house. But I always make myself pancakes in the morning on game days. I always sleep in. And we have a 45-minute-ish drive to Audi every game day. So there's no consistent music for me. Last week, it was the Dixie Chicks. Who knows where that came from? I don't know. But uh, (laughs) I'm kind of all over the place in the way I prepare for games. (laughs) All right. But sleeping in and pancakes, I love that. That's like perfect weekend for me, but without the actual like manual labor of running around. (laughs) (laughs) I'm here for it. Um, Okay. Well, you mentioned Dixie Chicks and, and music and it's random. So I won't ask you for like a specific song that you listen to all the time because that doesn't happen. But... What are, like, are there songs that you gravitate towards on a more consistent basis than others? No, it can be random, but is there, like, are there, like, a couple that you like to listen to that kind of get you ready for, for game day? Honestly, whatever Dorian plays in the locker room is always a good vibe. <laughs> we call her DJ Dor, and she's always on DJ duty, and it gets us going. So whatever she has to play, I'm here for we have heard lots of stories of DJ Dora, and I feel like one of the goals of this podcast has to be to get her to like curate a playlist because like apparently she does an amazing job. <laughs> it's a hard job too. <laughs> it is. It is. I'm like there's there's such a there's such a like diverse array of like music, and I feel like in that locker room, especially right now, there are so many that that like. I don't, I don't understand how, so that's why I feel like we got to get her to curate a playlist just to see, just to see, like, what are the vibes? Like a spirit playlist. Interesting. So what is your favorite genre of music? Like, we know Hatch likes country, we know others like rap, like, do you have a particular favorite or a favorite artist? Ooh, favorite artist, I like Taylor Swift. <laughs> there we go, okay. 
All right, that'll do, that'll do. So we've got, you're at least the second Swifty we know. Ashley had self-identified as a Swifty as well. Good. So are there more? Honestly, there's some secret ones on the team, I must say. I might be one of the loudest ones. I'm not that <laughs> loud about it, but people know. There might be some secret ones. I think people are more or less on board, but. <laughs> so Eras tour, gonna try and go? I'm mad about that because <laughs> terrible timing, but yeah. okay. <laughs> Haven't been yet. <laughs> okay. Hopefully, hopefully you can go. Hopefully, hopefully Michelle Kang can figure that out. Uh, I don't know how, but just get, I feel like if anybody's going to be able to help out, it would be her. Probably. <laughs> okay. Just a couple more. Um, your interests outside of soccer. I know you spend a ton of time with the game, love the game, passionate about the game, but, you know, we know that Aubrey Kingsbury and Ashley Hatch like to bake. We know other, other players, you know, have other passions. What are some of yours? I think... Two new things that I've started doing is one, I've been getting a lot of plants, which is very interesting. And Savannah and I have bonded over this because we like to take care of our plants when we come home. And then also I've taught myself to crochet to pass the time. I'm making a blanket right now, which is very difficult and way more expensive than you would think. But those are two newer hobbies I've probably picked up on since being a pro. crocheting is like it's like having a renaissance I feel like like a resurgence a lot of people like my mom just started crocheting and it's very interesting because now I ask her for like your birthday or like anything what do you want and she just wants yarn it's so expensive <laughs> it's it awful <laughs> but it's also what type of like because she's making baby blankets what do you make when you crochet I've made a bag I've made nice. a few pillowcases but I've Honestly, not much. This is new. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so your 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 product range is growing. <laughs> yes, yes. Is there any like? Do you want to like sell things, or is this just purely like personal hobby, just to have stuff? Just a way to pass the time. <laughs> All right. Well, there you go. Okay, and then the final question for for this podcast, and it is the one that we always ask everybody because we must for whatever reason. I even lost the reason why we do it, but we have to do it. So, candy corn is a thing that exists. Are you a fan of it or are you not? No, <laughs> not at all. <laughs> that is the reaction I'm always looking for. Do you know that you have, I believe, three members of your team that love candy corn? Questionable decisions, for sure. <laughs> yeah, I would say. Do you want to guess who they might be? Oh, that's a tough one. I think right. I would need some hints, you know? Hmm. Well, uh, this one gives it away, but uh, there's there might be a a color range, a hair color range for one of them that might be similar. <laughs> oh, I need to I need to talk to her about that. That's interesting for sure. <laughs> yeah, so it, apparently it's Tori Huster, Marissa Shiva, which was surprising to me, hmm. but um, and then Ashley Hatch. Okay, understandable. Interesting. interesting. I don't know what that says, but interesting. Everybody else has told us absolutely not. They reacted just like you, which is what I always expect because it's disgusting. Yes. Glad we're on the same page. <laughs> All good. Well, Paige, thank you so much for joining us here. This has been a great conversation, and I really appreciate it and, and enjoy talking to you. And good luck the rest of the season and hope to have you back on at some point. Awesome. Thanks again for having me. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode. Remember to like, subscribe, review, and rate five stars. You can follow us on Twitter at Hey Spirits. And as always, go Spirits.